I have honor today to welcome the Reverend Dr. Derek McAleer and his wife Charlene, who are with us currently from Macon, Georgia, uh, where Derek serves as uh, the director of our South Georgia Conference Administrative Services Office. Um, I met Derek when he was the pastor of the St. Mary's United Methodist Church, where the Jones family met him likely as well. Uh, and so there's a lot of connection here uh, with Dr. Derek McAleer. He was my first pastor. And I think it's appropriate uh, for him to be here with us today on Harvest Sunday for very personal and selfish reasons. I remember at 16 years old, wandering in the back uh, late to a service at St. Mary's United Methodist Church, lost, not knowing that there was something better for life. And Derek, I couldn't see him very well because I was in the back, but started talking about how God, Abraham found home in God, not in place. And I have that sermon on my computer that he graciously sent to me. And I knew that I had a home. And I also remember when I heard my call to ministry not too many years, months later. Forgive me, Brian, you've gotten to me, sir. It's the allergies, man. It's the allergies. It's the ragweed. Something. I felt an overwhelming call of God to do something. And the only way that I could describe it is I want to do what Derek does for people. And he told me if there's ever anything else I wanted to do, I should try it first. And I did. <laughs> I followed your advice all the way to the letter. But enough from me. There is a harvest that I feel in my life from what people faithfully plant into the world through ministry, through churches, and through the way that they live their Christian life. And it is my honor and pleasure to introduce you to the Reverend Dr. Derek McAleer. Let's give him a welcome. You know, occasionally you get to see your harvest. Not always, but occasionally. And somewhere this microphone thing is falling down my leg. Well, he said that you would trick me this way, that you would grease it up or something. I didn't know what he meant, but now I guess I'm learning. Huh? I do remember a young Jim. I do remember Jim meeting Amanda. Um, I do remember their courtship, which in part happened at youth group and in part happened uh, at our house while they played and sang in a band with my son. And I won't tell you any of those stories because these are good people and we should not be held accountable for our teenage years, right? But to see that God continues to work in the lives of people is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a great and a gracious thing. And to see where you have sown and others have come and tend to the garden and then you begin to see some of the harvest. It's a great thing. I remember when Jim went to seminary, I was trying to help find some money to pay for seminary. And I wrote a church, um, a great big, big church that has a student scholarship. And I said, you really need to help this young man go to seminary because one day he's liable to be your pastor. And you're going to want to be able to say, we knew you win. <laughs> and that may well happen. But we've, we've come to, to talk about other things today, and I do want to get to them. 
y'all have always been gracious when I was with the Methodist Children's Home the first, well, the last two times I preached here, the only two times I preached here, I came with the Methodist Children's Home. Well, we were trying to take damaged and battered and broken stems and turn them into beautiful flowers. And you were gracious and you supported us, and I thank you for that. I learned then that this was a church that wanted to be used by God. I grew up in the city. I grew up in Savannah. And um, in my house, agriculture is non-existent. My dad is an attorney, and he, he has planted some bushes and trees and then sort of looked at him and hoped that he had done his part because he didn't have a clue what to do after he dug the hole and put some water in it and put dirt on it. That was about the extent of our knowledge. We are not agricultural people. I learned the pace of life growing up. There was an urban pace of life, and there is a certain pattern and a certain rhythm in the city. And then the bishop, in his wisdom, when I went to seminary, assigned me to Davisburg, Georgia. Do you all know where Davisburg is? It's between Sandersville and Louisville. When you want to go to town, you go to Bartow. Me and 437 other people in the 1980 census were there. And what I learned was there is a different rhythm of life in the country. Yes. In fact, now I have only two requirements for where I live. One of them is I don't want to live anywhere where there's signs that flip down in the winter because I am a southern boy. And the other is I don't want to live anywhere where you have to listen to traffic on the radio because that's too big for me. I learned to like that rhythm of life out. There's a certain pace of life. And the pace of life in part is due to the space that you have in part is due to the rhythm of land and the rhythm of the seasons. I thought growing up that you planted in the spring and you harvested in the fall and I didn't know what a farmer did the rest of the year. And I learned, you know, you plant more than once if you want to stay in business, at least you do. And you harvest more than once if God is good and there's a rhythm to the seasons and there's more about the change of seasons than just the temperature, which I did not know. And it made me think about life in different ways. And it made me think about the rhythms and the patterns of life a little differently. And it made me think of, particularly as I grew to physical maturity and spiritual maturity, it made me start thinking about the rhythm of my own life and the seasons of my own life and the seasons of the people whom I was called to pastor and to serve and where they were. I am, as Jim mentioned for himself, I am the product of people who have sown life into me. And I have people, I'm 60 years old, I still have people sowing into me. They're good and they're gracious and they take me aside from time to time and they say, we need to coach you up a little bit, son, and to help me. You know what I mean? What I have learned over the years is that the Bible is pretty true. We're going to read it in a minute. There's a place in it where it says you reap what you sow. You know what I've learned? Far too often that is the truth. And there are times when I have reaped what I sowed, and I was so glad. And there's times where I have reaped what I sowed, and oh, did I regret it. Have you? Hear with me the wisdom of our God from the sixth chapter of Galatians.
Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you'll reap corruption from the flesh. You can almost hear him saying, so there. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from that Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those of the family of faith. My brothers and my sisters, the word of God for the children of God. Thanks be to God. Is it a promise? Or is it a description? Whatever you reap, you sow. Well, people who don't live near the land might argue that point, but you folks who live near, you understand it's a description. It's a description. Pretty much the ordinary routine of things is what you sow, you reap. And the ordinary routine of things is you reap what you sow. Now, every farmer knows if he doesn't sow or if she doesn't sow, there's not going to be much crop. And if you don't farm it, there's not going to be much crop. But you also know that the wind and the rain and the bugs, and there's a lot of other things that might impact it, right? I learned one thing early on when I went to Davisburg and I tried to figure out what farmers did for a living. I learned one thing. There's never the right amount of rain. There are only two kinds of rain, too little and too much. But there's never the right amount of rain, you know. It was astounding to me. But if, if you sow, it's going to lead to reaping. It just does. It's a law. St. Paul, inspired by God, says it's a spiritual law. It's not just a physical law in the universe. It's a spiritual law. Now, Jim, I hate to tell you, if those are old pecans and you plant them, you might still have a problem. Plant your best seed and you'll do better. See, helpful hints. Why do, we need to, why do we need to be told that you reap what you sow? Well, I'll tell you why. One reason is we have the remarkable ability to forget that what we're sowing we're going to reap one day. Don't we? Boy, when I all fired up in my spirit and those harsh words come out and I'm defending God and country and Jesus and everything else. I forget that I'm going to sow the harvest that those words bring, aren't I? We have the remarkable ability to forget that everything we sow we'll reap someday. But we also have the remarkable ability to get so bogged down in the process of farming in the work, just the raw, plain, ordinary work of it, that we lose sight of a harvest coming. You can be so bogged down in the day-to-day just duties and responsibilities. One of the things my wife has taken is her task in our married life when we had children. Her task was to remind me that we love our children and they are a joy to be around. She still does that. 
I am thinking, man, this empty nest life, it doesn't get any better than the empty nest life. This is wonderful. And she keeps saying, but we enjoyed our children, didn't we? Well, you know what it is. There's a point at which you're enjoying those children so much you forget to enjoy those children. Just the raw work and struggle and aggravation makes you forget it. But Paul says, in due season, we'll reap if we don't lose heart. If we faint not, depending on your translation. There is a harvest coming. If you sow, you reap. You know what Hebrews says? Hebrews says, follow Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Because he did not lose sight of the joy set before him. This is why women have a second child. No woman will go through it voluntarily again. It's not for the joy set before them. It's a description. It's not a promise. But it's also a truth. Sowing is going to lead to reaping. Which means you better take care of what you sow. I mean, one of the things I learned is you only reap what you sow. If you sow cucumbers, you're not getting corn, right? I mean, this is not rocket science. Even I know this, and I can't grow squat or squash or anything else. If you sow belittling, you don't reap loyalty. Did you know that? If you sow harshness, you don't reap gentleness. If you sow the chopping block, you don't reap growth. The great coaches of any sport, the great coaches have always figured out how to push their athletes without destroying their athletes. How to challenge their athletes while encouraging their athletes. And the coaches that don't make it are the ones that never figure out how to do that. Most churches do not think strategically about what and how they're going to sow. You know why? Because we get so wrapped up in the calendar. We get so wrapped up in events. We get so wrapped up and we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing this and, and they're fun and we're enjoying them and we get just this churning of activity. And at a point comes, someone says, why are we doing this? Well, because we've always done this. Yeah, but what's the point of it? I'm going to help you out here. Your church has one purpose. The only purpose your church has is to sow the seeds of faith in Jesus Christ and to help them grow in people. Your youth ministry might have all kinds of fun things to do, but it only has one purpose. To sow the seeds of faith in young people and help them come to love Christ and be loved by Christ. Your Sunday school class might have great fellowship and all that wonderful caring going on. But if it's not sowing seeds of faith in the life of people who come and help when you grow into faith and learn how to practice your faith, it's missed the boat. Every so often the church has to look and think about what and how we're sowing 
and what kind of results we're getting and what's happening. I noticed that one of your mission causes is FCA. It's a wonderful group. FCA has figured out that we can use athletics to bring people to Christ. And they never get confused about what their purpose is. Their purpose is not athletics. Athletics is their tool. Their purpose is to bring young people to Christ. And they know that and they do not lose sight of that. And we would do well to figure out the purpose of the things that we're doing and make sure that we understand that purpose and stay to it. But it's more than just making sure you're sowing those seeds of faith. Every so often you've got to look at what kind of harvest you've got coming and you've got to shift things up. I mean, coaches understand you've got to change the plays every so often. You run the same play every time. What happens? You have a team like my Florida State Seminoles this year. <laughs> Getting beat every time you turn around. Because Ray can't even run the same play without getting a penalty. But we did win yesterday. Amen. I understand that farmers don't sow the same crop all three times during the year. I have heard tell that there is a crop for winter that's not the same as the crop for the summer. Because they know the seasons. You got business people here who are advertising. You probably look at some point, at least if you're still in business, you look at some point to see, are you getting any sales out of that advertising? And if you're not getting any sales, something's got to change, right? Because your goal for advertising is customers. And the goal for customers is sales. And if the advertiser is not bringing anybody in, I don't have a shot at it. At some point, the church has to look at the seeds it is sowing and say, what kind of harvest are we getting? Maybe we need to change up some of what we sow to see what kind of harvest we get. That is the most difficult thing for a church to do. You know why? Because there are people who sow those seeds. And when someone says, and I'm picking on the youth ministry, I don't know if your youth ministry is excellent or terrible. I have no hidden agenda here. It's just wonderful. It's just that every church has a youth ministry. But if we haven't seen any young people walk in the back door of the church because somebody invited them and they come to know Christ because they came to the church and we talked about Christ. And if that hadn't happened in five years, then maybe we need to think about we could get a better harvest if we were sowing a little differently. It's tough work to decide what you're going to do different. But you've got to think about what you sow. If Glenville Methodist is not reaping the harvest of faith that you want to reap, that God wants you to be reaping from all the seed that you're sowing, then maybe we've got to think very carefully about how and what we're sowing. And part of that is to learn the when of sowing. When you sow matters so much. I mean, I laugh and joke, I don't know, squat. About farming. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to sow. And a time to pluck up what is sown, isn't it? I know this. I know I've seen very few farmers planting in mid-August. That's not planting time. I've learned in my own little garden, you don't put petunias in in December. They're not going to make it. Find the pansies. 
You've got to think about the wind. There are times when sowing seeds of faith can have great results. My youth director in Macon told me, we were talking about the schedule for the year, and he said, we talk about faith and we teach faith every Sunday night, but young people make decisions on retreats. Because you get them out of their setting and out of their milieu, and you can get their attention for a little while. He said, that's why we do two retreats a year and sometimes even three because that's when they'll make decisions. He's thought carefully about the when. The young couple moves into town and they've not been going to church. Did you know the research shows that people are more likely to make one change in their life when other changes are happening? They're more open to additional changes when things are already in flux. You have a young couple moves into town and they have not been going to church where they go. They are more likely to start going to church in this new town while everything else is new if they get invited before they settle in. Once their life settles down, that window is closed. Which is why it's so important when you see new people moving in to go and visit and get to know them and invite them. Because in the midst of change, we're open to more change. That young couple has a new baby. Their life is turned upside down at that point, isn't it? But it will settle down. But in that in-between window, somebody can go and say, our church would love to help you with that child. To celebrate with you and to counsel with you and to... Rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep and just be with you as you walk through this time of raising your child because they're more open when there's other things going on. Someone has to think about the seasons of people's lives just as clearly as you think about the seasons of nature and decide when to sow. Which means sometimes we can't do what we've always done because the time is not right. The season is not right. You know how the Bible describes when Jesus came? In Galatians it says, And when the right time had come, God sent His Son. Now I have yet to figure out what made it the right time. I've read all kinds of articles on it where people pontificate because they think about it a little bit and get an idea and write it down. I pay money to write, buy the book and read it. But I don't know why it was the right time. But I know that the God who made the seasons and made humans and knows our nature decided this is the right time. And if I send Christ now, he will save the world. And he did it. also know that you can miss the time. You ever wanted to have a conversation and wanted to have a conversation and wanted to have a conversation and then it was too late to have the conversation? I remember talking to 7th grade girls and 8th grade girls at NYF. It's kind of young. And I had other adults and I had adult women in there with me to make sure that I was on the right path here. But I said, I want to help you out. If you want to make a decision that you want to keep yourself pure, you have to make that decision before 10 o'clock on Saturday night in the back seat of the car. You can't wait till then. 
because I've, I've learned about biology. I know what will happen. You have to decide not to be in the back seat of the car at 10 o'clock on Saturday night if you want to keep yourself pure. You have to think ahead. And we can't wait till they're 17 years old to tell them that. It's too late. You have to sow into people's lives early. But that's one other part of sowing that we tend to forget. We get so busy in thinking about the needs of our community and the needs of our church and the needs of our family. And thank God people do that. We're not all a bunch of selfish skunks. We do think about others. But let me say to you this very clearly. You better watch what you allow to be sown in your own life. Nobody else is watching it like you will. And you have to be careful. I remember we were dating. We were not yet married. My wife was teaching at a school. My wife taught at the elementary school that I had attended. It's really not a good thing for your wife to go to work with your elementary school teachers. They don't always give her the best impression of you. Did you know that? But I remember her coming home to me one day and she said, I have to find another group to sit with because I've been eating lunch with so-and-so and all they do is complain and talk down about everything. And if I stay sitting with her, I'll do that too. She was thinking about what she's going to allow to be sown in her own life. I don't know if you remember that or not, but she was thinking about what she's going to allow to be sown into her life. Hebrews cautions us, See to it that no root of bitterness takes hold of you. Now how hard is that in a land of the 24-hour news channel where it doesn't matter what flavor of news you like, they're shouting at you morning, noon, and night that somebody done you wrong. And yet here we are trying to see that no root of bitterness takes hold in our heart and in our life. I'll give you a hint. I don't know what your preferred flavor of TV is, but the 24-hour channel news ought to be just turned off. You will be a happier person if you just turn it off. Jesus, sometimes Jesus said things that I wish so much he had not said. He said, you know, if you think those thoughts in your mind, You might as well have done them. They're just as bad. Gosh, I wish he hadn't said that, don't you? King David let his eyes wander one day. He went up on his rooftop and he looked over another rooftop where a lady was taking a bath and he should have turned away and gone in right then. And he did not. He let his eyes wander. And y'all know what happened. After his eyes wandered, his mind wandered. And after his mind wandered, his body wandered. And after his body wandered, he ended up having one of his loyal and faithful generals killed to protect his lust. And the repercussions of that were felt for decades in the kingdom. Not for weeks, not for months, for decades. Because he did not put up some boundaries in his own life. I moved into the office where I am now. I have five wonderful ladies who work for me and they are gifted and gracious and thank God they know what they're doing because somebody in the building needs to. But when I went in that room, every room was a solid door. 
And after about two weeks, I called up my friend Con and I said, I need you to help me put glass in the door. <laughs> and I took that door off the hinges on Saturday and went to his shop and we put glass in that door because I got five ladies in my office and I need to talk to him privately sometime. But I want to be real clear. We're going to have some boundaries here. I think I'm a pure, upright guy. I think they're pure, upright guys. But I've also learned people will do things they later regret and that they know better than to do. You know? So I put some boundaries up. We got glass in my door. You got to do this. You have to watch what you allow to be sown in your life. I grew up singing a song, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Y'all remember that? Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. What's on your TV? Nobody else can guard your heart like you can. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption, says Paul. But if you sow to the Spirit, and here is the promise, if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Your heart will have a home. Your life will have a center. There will be some joy in your heart. Hear this promise. I did a funeral on Friday of a lady. She was 93. When I, when I left the church, she was 70. I thought she was old then. I'm 60 now. That's not old at all. 70's young, you know. This is a lady who spent most of her life finding the joy in things. She was just a character. She was not a, a Pollyanna, not a dumb lady, not somebody who didn't understand what was going on. She, she understood when there were hurtful things and hard things and difficult things. She would step in and try to help, and she'd find a joke. I'll tell you what kind of lady she was. I go to see she and one of her friends one day, and they say, we got a pact we've made. Now, these ladies were very skilled and very gifted, but they did not believe that God had created them for housework only. So they offered their time and their energy for a lot of things besides housework. So they made a pact. If you hear that I have died, do not go to the hospital. Do not go to the funeral home. Do not go to the side of the wreck. You go straight to the house. You stand in the door. You receive the plates. You say thank you. And you don't let a soul in my house till you've had a chance to clean it up. And they laughed, and she was 69, 68 when she made that joke to me. She was old enough to be dying, but she was laughing about it too because she had a way of finding the joy in things. When she died in the nursing home, she had not, she had lost her mobility. She had lost her freedom to do what she wanted. She had lost her independence, but she had not lost her joy. Because she had sown those seeds for years and years and years and years. Had an adult son die, it was tough, it was hard, but she kept sowing some seeds of joy. And when the time came to reap the harvest, oh, she had a harvest. 
This is the time of year when our thoughts just naturally go to reaping and harvesting. And, and well, I mean, you don't have to be in the agriculture business. You drive to work around here. I expect you see it going on. You can tell what's happening. But think a bit farther than just this season's harvest. Think a bit longer out. Think of the harvest God is reaping through your church and the harvest God wants to reap. I saw a list of building projects on this thing when I, I told Jim, I said, send me a picture of your sign. I want to see what you do. I saw a list of building projects. Those are wonderful. Just got one question. So when you get them done, how's it going to help you win people? How's it going to help you win people? Make sure that when you get it done, you remember that we did these things for a purpose. Our purpose is to draw people to Christ. Think of all the things that might be interfering with the harvest. There's a lot of wind and rain and drought and bugs that interfere with what the church does as surely as it does interfere in the field. Think of the things that might be interfering with the harvest. And what can you do to mitigate those things? So that what our church is doing can have the results that God wants us to have. And think about the results. I have all of my life had people say, well, you can't count this and that and the other. And I have come to decide over the years, yes, you can. You can see impact on somebody's life. You can watch people grow in Christ. You can see people who are hard-hearted become more tender. Have you seen somebody who is mean as a stake and they soften up over the years as the influence of the gospel works in them? You can see somebody's language change, or hear it at least. You can watch somebody's giving pattern change as they begin to say there are a lot of needs in the world. And I want to be part of meeting those needs. You can watch the impact, the results of what you do. Now there is a waiting time. That's why it tells us to let us not lose heart. There is a waiting time. There are some seeds you sow that take a long time to grow. How many mamas are praying for wayward children? And pray and pray and pray. And you do not know. You do not know. You just pray. But in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. For whatever you sow, that shall you reap. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. And your heart will be full. And your life will be rich. And you will say to yourself, it's a good day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Hmm, it's raining out there. But this is the day that the Lord has made. My gosh, I believe it's hail out there. But this is the day that the Lord has made. Oh, my gosh, it's hot again. You get that more in South Georgia, I think. 
But this is the day that the Lord has made. I got to meet with John today. Oh my gosh. But this is the day that the Lord has made. I will what? Rejoice. I will rejoice. I will sow the seed of joy. And be glad in it. Because when I do that, the harvest will be rich. My brothers and my sisters, it may not be a promise. But it is the wisdom of our God. When we sow to the Spirit, we reap eternal life. And if that's not a promise, but it's God's Word, it's going to be good enough for this boy. And I hope for you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we've talked about the harvest today. And we're thinking about a harvest far beyond crops. And we're thinking about a harvest far beyond cash giving. We're thinking, Lord, about a harvest of souls for the kingdom, of harvest of joy in our own lives, a harvest of grace and peace and the joy that you offer to us, a harvest of having a home in you and in each other. Help our hearts, O Lord, to have such confidence that you will bring the harvest that we hang in there in that waiting time. For you are a God in whom we can have confidence that you will bring it to pass. Hear us this day and make it to be true. Amen.